On Monday, a 67-year-old German tourist was shot dead in Mpumalanga while traveling to a game lodge in the Kruger National Park, a popular tourist destination. The man, along with his wife and two other German tourists, was driving on Numbi Road in White River, en route to the park's Numbi Gate, when they were attacked. On Wednesday, at a media briefing, Tourism Minister Lindiwe Sisulu said a passing vehicle blocked their path and three armed men jumped out and approached them. One of the assailants fired a shot at the driver through the closed window. The tragic incident has made international headlines and there are fears that it could have significant negative repercussions on South Africa's tourism industry. I'm Catherine Rice, a multimedia journalist for News24, and you're listening to The Story, where we'll talk to journalists and experts about the biggest story of the week. This week, we're talking to multimedia journalist Yashil Panshia, who has been covering the story. And later, we'll talk to Dr. Guy Lamb, a criminologist in the Department of Political Science at Stellenbosch University. Yashil, thank you so much for your time. What do we know so far about what happened and the subsequent arrests? Good day, and thanks for having me on, Catherine. So, from this particular incident, what we're aware of is that some German nationals who were traveling South Africa were on their way to Mdluli Lodge outside Numbi Gate at the Kruger, and they were coming from the Drakensberg, so they had already had quite a long drive. From eyewitness accounts and people that we interviewed, it seems that they decided to switch drivers near an area which is quite a crime hotspot by that gate, and... It it appears that opportunistic criminals witnessed them changing drivers, noticed that they were foreign, and took that opportunity to follow them and then attempt to hijack them at a speed bump uh, about two kilometers from the gate. The uh, German national who was driving, he was fired upon once by one of the hijackers and fatally wounded. The tourism minister, uh, Lindiwe Sisulu, has announced the arrests of three people. Do we know anything more about that? I'm going to contradict the minister, Minister Sisulu, there and say that Minister of Police, Becky Tsele, on Wednesday during a press conference at the scene of the crime, indicated that there were three people of interest to the case, but that zero arrests had been made. And one of our colleagues here at News24 is currently in the process of fact-checking Minister Sisulu's statements. But it seems that there she is incorrect. As far as we are aware, there are no arrests made at this time. Yashil, you were in the area this week. I believe it's a notorious crime hotspot. Is that the case? Uh, Did you feel unsafe there? So it does seem to be high in terms of the levels of criminality. One thing that this has obviously highlighted given the role that tourists play in the economy, particularly European tourists, is there's been now a big media focus and focus from Minister Sisulu and Minister Tele. But in our investigations when we were on scene, we quickly came to the realization that there are, you know, as many if not more victims of violent crime from the local communities there. And one of the stories that we published was a deep dive into a 14-year-old boy who had been shot in the head during an attempted hijacking at the exact same spot as this tourist. And this happened on March the 3rd. So it it is a crime hotspot, I think in part due to its remoteness and the high levels of unemployment in the area. But I didn't feel particularly unsafe there myself. The community there is very welcoming. And you can see that there's a strong effort from both local businesses, the lodges that exist in the area, and the community members themselves to combat criminality. So I didn't have any any direct experiences of, of lack of safety. 
has Sandparks done anything uh, to warn tourists of the dangers? So Sandparks did send out a release which included an advisory to tourists asking them to please travel in convoys and to basically be more aware of their surroundings. But I'm not really sure that that's that's a useful piece of advice. Um, Yes, you can travel in convoys, but if you're a tourist and you know, you are driving with two vehicles instead of one, that doesn't really reduce your risk so much as possibly add another target to to the mix. I think, however, that because these crimes are happening on the periphery of, of the Sandparks boundaries, they technically are under the purview of the SAPS. However, since it's occurring on the border, it should be a jointly coordinated thing that should be resolved between Sandparks, between the SAPS, and between the local communities. I think that's the only way we'll see results. And Yashil, do we know anything about the German tourists who are visiting South Africa? So we do. Um, we were fortunate enough to interview uh, the manager of the lodge that they were intending to stay at, and we managed to get information from a few other sources. And from all of it, they seemed like incredibly well-traveled people, very warm, very loving of South Africa and, you know, have been here many times before and and have thoroughly enjoyed their time and hospitality here. So it's deeply unfortunate, you know, not just from a, a national level, but on a personal level that their, what will likely be their final experience in South Africa here ended the way that it did. Unfortunately, um, some of the media in Germany and in, and some uh, publications here in South Africa took the liberty of naming the victim before all of their family members were notified. And that really, really soured the the experience of the, the people who remained here and was, was quite a line cross. So we, we, you know, we didn't push their boundaries and attempt to get deeper information. We took the story as it came rather than trying to focus on, you know, a deeper individual tragedy there so as not to, to make this any more difficult for them. They did cut their trip short, I believe. They did indeed. So they flew out two days after the incident. And Yashil, just lastly, there's been a reward for information offered. Can you tell us anything about that? So the proposition of a reward, I think, is to incentivize community-driven intelligence. And we see this in the case of the infamous Joburg arsonist at the moment. We're seeing it now with, with this um, this murder. And I think that the, the aim is really to get information because the police are unable to. And I'm not certain whether that's a resource issue or whether it's a lack of intelligence capability on the ground. But that's really what, what my understanding of the motivation of, of this is. And I, I, I don't think it's going to be successful. I think you're throwing out too wide a net without having, you know, if you don't have ballistics, if you don't have eyewitness accounts, very clear, and there were eyewitness accounts, if you don't have statements taken and you don't have a strong investigative bent, throwing out 50,000 rand as a reward is basically like, we'll give you money if you can bring this information to us. I don't think it's a, it's a long-term solution, and I think it's going to be unlikely to be successful in this case. Thank you so much for your reporting on this tragic story. That was Yashil Panchia, multimedia journalist for News24. We're now joined by Dr. Guy Lamb, a criminologist in the Department of Political Science at Stellenbosch University. Dr. Lamb, thank you for your time. 
Do you think this will have a massive impact on our tourism industry? Is it likely to impact on the perceptions of prospective tourists? Yes and no. I mean, it really depends on these kind of incidents. So, I mean, attacks and violence against tourists within South Africa, you know, has, we have been seeing this happening from time to time. I mean, typically tourists are the target of kind of opportunistic crime, you know, such as street robberies, you know, being pickpocketed, um, sometimes being scammed. You know, in some instances, they are victims of kind of sexual violence, but largely tourists to South Africa, especially those from wealthy countries who are going to go and stay in you know, luxurious hotels or lodges, you know, often aren't the targets. We do see incidences happening, but typically tourists visiting South Africa from kind of, you know, wealthy nations usually aren't the targets of violent crime. But certainly when these incidences happen, they do tend to get international media attention. So in some cases, for example, a few years ago, we had a Ukrainian tourist who was on the slope of Table Mountain near Hart Bay. And of course, that yielded a significant amount of you know, public attention within South Africa, uh, but also internationally about it. And there were kind of parliamentary hearings into tourism safety as a result of that. And, but I mean, that developed over days. And what we're seeing now around the murder of this German tourist in relation to uh, an attempt at carjacking is, you know, there's been some attention within South Africa, but only a little bit of attention internationally. So it's not making international headline news because you've got the, you know, Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, you've got, you know, economic downturn, the effects of COVID, you know, cost of living increases. So there's lots of stories that are competing for headlines. But this kind of story is likely to inform certainly kind of decisions by German tourists in Germany. Um, but it's certainly not the first time this sort of incident has happened. So, you know, it, it potentially can influence decisions, but it's still a bit, earlier to, a bit too early to see at the moment. What can government role players do to minimize the impact? I mean, in your opinion, was this an avoidable incident? Could government have done more, given the poor reputation of the Numbi Gate to Kruger, which is avoided by many South Africans because of previous incidents? Well, it, it is about obviously communication. I mean, first and foremost is, you know, kind of we've seen a tourist international visitor who's being affected by crime within South Africa. And of course, there have been South Africans that have been affected by crime in that sort of area. So certainly from government's point of view, from the different departments, whether it's from police, whether it's from, uh, you know, kind of national parks, whether it's from, you know, other government departments that have responsibilities for those areas. It's, you know, there's, there's clearly improvements that are required there. Um, but also it's the sense of um, improvements around patrolling where we've got areas that are known to be high crime areas that there's a lot more kind of visibility that is required there. Um, but I think it's also the sort of sense of uh, communication around issues such as carjacking because in, in many circumstances the, the situation of the carjacking can be escalated by the dynamics that happen. So if someone resists, you know, handing over the keys or surrendering personal property to car hijackers that often there is a lethal outcome of that. And, um, you know, the kind of communication around that might be helpful. But, of course, one doesn't want to get into victim blaming. Um, and in many circumstances, people do prevent themselves from being carjacked by resisting. <clears throat> but it is it does create this kind of difficult dynamic. But the circumstance comes down to it that there do need to be improvements around access to key tourist sites, especially around Kruger National Park, which aren't as well protected as, for example, Table Mountain or the Cape Town waterfront. But ultimately, does there is more work that is needed. Tourists don't usually go into crime hotspots, but this apparently was one. How can we prevent this in the future? As I, as I mentioned, it's around kind of really kind of communication, and it's communication through kind of tourist companies 
and in, uh, if, if tourists are operating, uh, being supported, and are um, you know contracting tourist companies to work with them, you know, kind of government communications can help with this. Um, if tourists are here independently and are hiring cars, that is a bit more difficult. Um, but it you know ultimately comes down to where the accommodations and lodges where those uh, tourists are going to stay to kind of communicate the information in kind of a very kind of clear and coherent way around what the potential dangers are and what to look out for, I think are other sort of circumstances because it is very difficult to counteract kind of carjacking and kind of organized criminality in places in and around the Kruger because the areas are so large. Um, so if the police don't have good crime intelligence, it's very difficult for them to act. So I think one of the things that the police could be doing here is, you know, looking to try and build up levels of, you know, better numbers of informants, better quality of information that's provided by communities, building up good relationships with, with communities in those kind of areas so that the information and intelligence are fed to them so that they can actually infiltrate and arrest the perpetrators. Because this is organized criminality. So it's a, a lot more easier to predict if you've got good information. Do you think there should be special policing for car hijackings? Would that make a difference? Yes, but it's only it will only really work in kind of hotspot areas, and it typically only works within sort of urban areas where you've got known street segments or corners or specific areas within cities where car hijacking gangs and individuals are known to operate. And then you can put measures into those places. When it comes to kind of the more rural areas, as we've seen here, it is a bit more difficult. I mean, all you can really do in these kind of circumstances is about the state working with property owners, you know, working with the private sector and around investing within CCTV that has you know, license plate recognition that you're able to track suspicious vehicles, for example, you know, have systems that are, you know, connected to property owners to, in a way, sort of share information and kind of collaborate and trying to provide improved security. But in the sense of kind of having kind of car, anti-car hijacking units, they're helpful, but in the area of kind of Kruger National Park, their the impact can be quite limited because of the, the size of the area. Do you think that the police have lost the capacity to deal effectively with incidents such as this one? Many South Africans have completely lost faith in the ability of the police to enforce law and order. Is their cynicism justified? Well, I mean, we... It's, it's, it's yes and it's no, and it depends on, on what type of crime we're looking at. So we know that trust in the police has declined. So in terms of if we unpack the, the stats, uh, crime victimization surveys or victims of crime surveys, I mean, you can see in various kind of indicators there that, you know, that the general public are losing and have lost trust in the police certainly over the past 10 years. Um, and of course, this is impacted by their experiences of crime or their interactions with other people who have experienced crime. In the sense that, you know, the, the kind of trust in the police in doing something about, um, you know, kind of vehicle hijackings, carjacking, it comes down to the sort of issue of you know, police having good intelligence. And unfortunately, they haven't really had good intelligence in the past because of the problems with them, such crime intelligence, and corruption and mismanagement and poor leadership there. That's kind of been turned around. But the you know the improvements continue with perhaps crime intelligence, where they're focusing on gangs that that specialise in, in carjacking, that we can make a difference. But at the moment, there are many challenges that remain. Well, thank you so much for those insights and those views. That was Dr. Guy Lam, criminologist from Stellenbosch University. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join me again next week for the story.